Would you please stand for the reading of Mark 3, verses 13 through 19. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Have any of you here heard of the Choluteca Bridge in Honduras? World-famous bridge, Choluteca Bridge in Honduras? No? Oh, I see a couple of hands in the back. Know where I'm going with this one already. This is a bridge that was completed in 1998. They had an old Choluteca Bridge and they built a new Choluteca Bridge to cross over the Choluteca River so you could get into the town of Choluteca. Looks like this. In the same year that this bridge was completed in 1998, Hurricane Mitch stormed through the region when caused considerable damage to the nation and its infrastructure. The cool thing was the old bridge sustained serious damage. The new bridge did not sustain much damage structurally. However, the bridge itself was in near perfect condition, yet the roads on either end of the bridge had completely been washed out, leaving no visible trace of their prior existence and also at the time, the Choluteca River had carved itself a new channel during the massive flooding caused by the hurricane. It no longer flowed under the river, which now spanned only dry ground. The bridge quickly became known as the Bridge to Nowhere. Thankfully, in 2003, they reconnected it to the highway. The bridge is now useful. You can go there and drive over it. It's not just a useless piece of structure. But now you might be asking, Pastor Greg, why are we talking about a bridge? This is church. We're talking about joining Jesus on his mission. What are you talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Anybody feel like their neighborhood has changed Anybody feel like the world has changed? Like a river has moved? Bridges that have existed in the past feel like they're not useful or unnecessary and you try to go over them and you might end up just falling off the other end. Rivers have moved in our culture. The landscape has changed. Yes, this is this is true. Churches, however, somebody told me churches have been built for a culture that existed probably about the 1960s, at least in America. Programs and how we operate and what we expect and how we work typically operate under this idea that people will just come to church. If we open the doors, they're just going to show up. 
60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. This typically worked. Now, not so much. A river has moved. People aren't just showing up when we open the doors. This puts us in very unfamiliar territory, right? We who have been involved in church for most of our lives or for a long time don't know what to do. Like, how does this work if we open the doors, if we do things, if we say come to church, but people don't come, or we say come to church, and they're like, what's church? I've never been to church in my life. I don't know what that means or what that looks like. Guess what? Friends, we're on a mission field. This is foreign territory now. And that can be scary. That can be frightening. You can think that's a bad thing. But it's great. It's an opportunity. And it's an opportunity in why we're doing this sermon series of joining Jesus on his mission, that it's an opportunity to join Jesus on mission. The mission that is literally outside our doors. You could even say across the street. The neighborhood has changed. Rivers have moved. Our culture has changed. This is all true, but Jesus hasn't changed. His message hasn't changed. Jesus is still at work. Even though things around us look different, bridges we build today may be outdated tomorrow, Jesus is still at work, and he's calling us to join him. Jesus wants us to join him on his mission. So the foundational truth I want you to walk away with is this, that Jesus is already at work in our neighborhoods, and he wants you to join him on his mission. The work may be different than it was, but Jesus and his message are still the same. Now, before I jump into the heart of the message, I want you to pull out this, you know, your insert that's in the bulletin if you have it. And there's some fill-in-the-blanks there at the bottom. And as I go through the message, I want you to be thinking about something. What are your neighborhoods? Where are you at regularly? Now, the book that Pastor Mike and I are reading that the sermon series is coming from, Joining Jesus on Mission, defines the neighborhood in the way that you see in this little gray box. Any network of people to which we have regular access who is regularly within our reach. So that doesn't mean the neighborhood is just where you work or where you live. It could be where you work. It could be a club that you're a part of. It could be the gym. Anywhere that you regularly connect with people that you have relationships with, that is your neighborhood. If you're kids, if you have kids or grandkids that are involved in sports and you go watch them at the field, that's a neighborhood. If you go watch kids do a dance performance or participate in some other kind of extracurricular, that's a neighborhood. If you are a part of a social service agency or one of the mission partners that we talked about this morning, that's a neighborhood. If you go golf at a country club and you know people there, that's a neighborhood. So I want you to list as we go through this sermon some of the neighborhoods that you are connected to there in the blanks. So in order to join Jesus on his mission and from the reading today, the first thing we need to do is 
to hear Jesus's call and to respond. Anybody ever get some of those scam calls? Hey, I'm calling to talk to you about your car's extended warranty. Or, hey, I'm calling from your credit agency. Like, not the actual credit card, but just the vague credit agency. One of my favorites I get is when I pick it up, and it's, it's totally a recording, but the recording is, oh, oh, uh, I thought I was going to get voicemail. Like, they're trying to be personal recording, like, right off the bat. It's weird. And we hate those because they're trying to sound personal. They're trying to connect with you. They're trying to get at something that you think you're going to respond to. But it, they don't care about you. They don't want you. They want your money. They want a service. They want to get something from you. It has nothing to do with who you are as a person. But that's the beautiful thing about Jesus when he calls. It's about you. He loves you. He's not trying to bait and switch anybody. He cares about you. He's not calling with any ulterior motives. And he's calling because he wants us to join him. In the opening passages of the reading today, it says Jesus went up a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. This isn't just a kind of Jesus walking through the town shouting, hey, if people want to join me, that'd be great. Come join me. Hey, I'm doing this thing. You should come join me. Well, it says he called to him those he wanted. He called them out specifically. Carl, come join me. Christy, come join me. Jeff, come join me. He wanted them. He called them each individually as people. It's an invitation to come be with Jesus. Come be near him. Come see what he's doing. Come and join. Come be wherever Jesus is and see what he's up to. And what we need to see is that wherever Jesus is at work in those neighborhoods that we're thinking about, he's calling us to join him in his work there. Jesus is saying, come here. Come, come check this out. Look what I'm doing over here. Look at this new bridge we can build together. Look what I've already started. Look where the kingdom of heaven can become a reality right here in your neighborhood. And the people that says that Jesus called, it says they're the ones that he wanted. Jesus wanted these 12 men to be with him. He called those that he desired, that he had in mind, those that he was fond of, that he loved. I think this is the most beautiful part of this passage and the gospel in general is that Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you to join him. It's not a, again, if you think this is a good idea, just come here and be with me. It's great. No, Jesus wants you. He desires for you to be with him and to join in the work. Each and every one of you here, each and every one of you watching online with your unique giftings, talents, passions, joys, and placement all over this county or this state or this wherever you're watching online, you could be anywhere. 
Regardless of your background, your history, your past sins, troubles, whatever reason you can come up with for why you're not enough, Jesus has heard them all. He still wants you. Jesus wants you to be with him, to join him on his mission, to see what he's up to in whatever neighborhood you find yourself in. The disciples then, they responded. It says they came to him. When you receive the call, you do have to respond. You have to pick up the phone and say, hello, yes, what do you need, Jesus? Yes, I'd love to do that. Thank you very much. It's important that we don't just sit back and wave at Jesus like we just can't quite hear him, like, hey, yeah, Jesus, I, see I can't hear you. What? Or like, you know, on the phone, you pretend you're going through a tunnel. I can't tunnel. Jesus, bye. You don't want to ignore Jesus' call. But also, I think we have a temptation to say, oh, hey, Jesus, I see you over there. That's great what you're doing. Why don't you come over here? Come, look at this, what I'm building. Come do what I'm doing, Jesus. Let's come over here. But Jesus wants us to go where he is. He's already started work. He's already charted a path. He's already dug a foundation for us to join in building on top of. We don't want Jesus to just come bless whatever we're doing. Jesus is inviting us to join him in a much greater, grander work. And we need to be ready to respond and to go to him wherever he is. We need to have eyes to see and ears to hear what Jesus is up to. It's like the foundational truth already said. Jesus is already at work in our neighborhoods, and he wants us to join him on his mission. But when we hear the call of Jesus and respond to him, it doesn't just end there. It's in the word respond also comes responsibilities. And I'm not sure many of us love having responsibilities, having work, chores. There's this odd thing that often happens in our house when we're home for a weekend and we don't have like an event or soccer or something to do that the girls will invariably come up to me and be like, Daddy, we're bored. Oh, okay. Well, let's go clean the bathrooms. No. Oh, well, here's a to-do list of things we need to do outside. No, I don't want to do that. It's not great. It doesn't feel good. That's not what they had in mind. But if we're cooking dinner, and I say, hey, Aurora, why don't you come chop this with me? Why don't you come help me make dinner? They'll run out of their rooms faster than the roadrunner to come help me make dinner. Why? Why is that different than me just giving them some random job? Because there's teamwork. There's a relationship there. When they get to sit beside me or stand beside me and we get to work together for a common goal and to produce something together, anybody will jump on board with that, right? We love working with other people to do things together. And I think that same thing is true with Jesus, that he gives the disciples responsibilities, yes, but they get to join in the work that Jesus is already doing. The important thing is that the first responsibility is that they come be with 
Jesus. He wants them to be with him, to be near him, to be around him, to see how he works, to see what's important to him, so that he can show them what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus, to see where he goes, what he does. Anybody ever heard the phrase, dust of your rabbi? The whole idea in the ancient world was that when you became a disciple of a rabbi, that you followed them so closely that you got the dust off of their feet on your clothes. That you wanted to pick up everything that they learned, that they did, that they taught, and you were so close to them that you got dirty because you were so close to them. That's what Jesus wanted his disciples to do and to experience. But he doesn't want them just to be with him. It says... He wanted them to be with him so that he could send them out. Now that might be a little scary. But I think there is this rhythm to the Christian life of being with Jesus but also going out. But then we come back and we're with Jesus. But then we go out. And I think Jesus is establishing that rhythm here as he's calling his first disciples. Coming here at church is a part of how we are with Jesus, how we rest, rejuvenate, how we learn about who Jesus is and what he does and how we can be followers of him. But the work, the work is out there. That's why we need to be sent. That's why Jesus sends out his disciples. We don't just want to come, set up camp, and be here all week long. I mean, that's great for short periods of time if we want to have intense Bible study or something like that. But we're not supposed to live here in church. We need to be out participating in the work that Jesus wants us to be in. And when we get sent out, Jesus actually lays out a couple jobs that the disciples get to do. Says that they may be sent out to preach. Who wants to preach? Guess what? It doesn't have to look like this. You don't need to be comfortable with public speaking. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to know Greek and Hebrew. You don't need to have all the answers. You can preach at your office, at the golf or disc golf course, at a restaurant, at a coffee shop, at a brewery, at a winery. Wherever you are, you all here and those watching online can preach. Preaching is simply taking what we know about Jesus and being able to connect it with what's going on around us. How has Jesus impacted your life? What has he done for you? And when you're connecting with a friend and they have a need or they're expressing a want or they have a grief or a hurt, you can say, wow, I'm sorry that you're going through that, but this is how Jesus helps me with that. Or this is how I've experienced hope in a seemingly hopeless situation. And in that, that's how we build those new bridges, those new connections, new ways for people to see and hear the gospel. Because if they've never been in church and they don't know what church is, this can be an imposing place. Weird people go in there wearing strange clothes. They sing strange songs that I don't hear on the radio. What's that about? But if they're your neighbor, your coworker, somebody you're around on a regular basis, 
you have an opportunity to share the things that we talk about here without the imposition of whatever they might think this place is. Now, do we want them to come in here? Sure, we'd love them to come into the building to see what we do here and how beautiful it is and all the glory and things that we get to express about God and Jesus here. But if they're not just going to come in of our own volition, we need to be ready to share with them out in the world. It's simply talking about your experience with Jesus, what he has done in your life, what you know to be true about being a Jesus follower, what you know to be true about Jesus, God, and the future. What have you learned in here? What do you know to be true about Jesus? The book that we're reading simply says that there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is a better way. God is for us, not against us. He has not rejected us or forgotten us. It means that we are loved and that we can trust him with everything. I think we all know that. And I think we all can express that in our own unique ways. Not only does Jesus say that they get to preach, but they get to drive out demons. Anybody driven out a demon? Probably not. It's a little, feels weird in our modern time. Can't say I've done any exorcisms lately, and I've had very limited experience with the spiritual warfare side of things. But what the Bible says and what we need to acknowledge is that there are dark powers at work in our world. That there are things we are going to come up against that are going to scare us and frighten us. Things that are holding people captive that we're not sure what we can do about. But the more that we team up with Jesus, the more that we join him in his work, the more that we make contact with people, we need to be ready to stand up to whatever those dark powers are. And we don't do it alone because Jesus is always with us, supporting us as we join in his work. Now the demons we might think of with the horns and the scary things that we see on the movies might not be what we come up against all the time. But some of the dark powers in our broken and distorted world are like addictions, drugs, alcohol, food, pornography. The temptation to gain popularity or influence. I don't know how many of you are on TikTok or Instagram, but you can be an influencer on those things. You can have people follow you from all over the world. It feels really good. But once the rivers change, once things that are popular changes, all of that disappears in an instant. And what do you do? Who are you then if you have no more followers? There's a dark power around wealth and power and influence in our culture and society. People want more money so that they can maybe have more power over people or feel like they can insulate themselves from everything that's around them. Whenever we follow Jesus, these are the demonic forces that we might come up against, and we need to know that Jesus is there with us, giving us the strength and the power to confront those things. And we must remember that this is not our work. We are joining in the work that Jesus has already started. We don't do this alone. He is always with us. 
So like I said, Jesus is already at work in our neighborhoods and he wants you to join him on his mission. And the work may be different than it was. But I think the nice thing is that Jesus doesn't invite us because of any special qualifications that we might have. You know, when I said, hey, he wants to preach, and nobody in here jumped up and said they wanted to preach, although I know some of you have. But there's no special qualifications. Just look at the list of the 12 that we get at the end of the verse today. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, which they gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. None of them are listed as like spiritual leaders. It wasn't like Simon the Pharisee, Matthew the Sadducee, Bartholomew the priest. No, they're regular, ordinary people. Fishermen, tax collector. One, the zealot, was probably some kind of radical political activist. These are regular, ordinary people you might see on your daily walk through the neighborhood, on your way to the store. But they were all transformed through their experience of being with Jesus. That's why you are the one that Jesus wants to invite to join him on his work. You are the best one to reach your neighborhood. You know the people there. You know what they're like. You know what they like. You know what they do. You know what kids they have. You know what kids they, what their kids do. You know the language, the rhythms, the names, the faces. You are the best one to take what you know about Jesus by being with him, about the kingdom of God and where it's at work, and to translate that into language that your neighborhood will understand. Remember, we're on a mission here. Some translation is going to be required. Missionaries that go into far-off countries that have never received the Bible, they first have to translate the Bible into their language. And sometimes that might sound a little different to our ears because the words are different in the different language. The images are different. And to be able to explain things like sanctification or Jesus dying on a cross, like... That might not make sense in a foreign country where they have no idea what a cross is or what it looks like. Same thing can be true for our neighborhoods, that there's languages that it, there's a language that's used that might not fit one-to-one with what we talk about in here. And we have to be able to communicate the truths of Jesus and the gospel in a way that would make sense to them. Jesus is already at work in our neighborhoods, and he wants you to join him on his mission. The work may be different than it was, but Jesus and the message are still the same. That there is forgiveness for sins. There is a new life with Jesus forever. And like I said already, there is hope. There is forgiveness. There is a better way. God is for us, not against us. He has not rejected us or forgotten us, and it means we are loved and can trust him with everything. 
Now, you might be sitting there and thinking, yeah, Pastor Greg, all of those disciples, that's great. But there was one who didn't do a very good job. There was one who didn't catch the message. So not all of them did great. You're right. There was Judas. Now, a little word about Judas. I think Judas is a warning to us. You may have heard I have kind of an odd familial connection with Judas. I have a soft spot for Judas in my heart. My dad played Judas in all the Last Supper plays that my church did. When I grew up, I got to play Judas up here for an Ash Wednesday. And Aurora even got to play Judas for our Godspell. So apparently it just goes in the family, whatever that means. Especially today, as our rivers have moved and we may find that we have bridges to nowhere with our culture because the situation has changed I think Judas becomes a warning to us because if we continue to look towards the past expecting the same results and expecting Jesus to just return us to some kind of thing that we had in the back in the previous life, some previous norm. Man, if we could just get back to that. That would be great, Jesus. Can we just, can we go back? It felt nice back there. Can we go back? I want that back. That's what Judas wanted. Judas had a very specific idea of what Jesus was, going to, was coming to do as the Messiah. That he was going to restore Jerusalem and Israel to this great kingdom that it once was under King David. And they're going to overthrow the Romans and the Israelites are going to be back on top and everything's going to be great like it was. Can we get back to that, Jesus? Can we do that? But Judas was expecting Jesus to be something that he was not. He expected the mission to be something that it wasn't. And he tried to push his own agenda, but ultimately he sold out. He sold out to those who were connected with the past, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Because they promised to return to some previous great age and we will fall into the same temptations today that we may want to return to the past so much that we'll sell out for something way less than Jesus we'll be tempted by people who say oh yeah we'll go back to the way it was we can be like that again but friends the rivers have moved things have changed we can't go back and Jesus, Jesus is out there. Jesus is ahead of us, on mission, in our neighborhoods, preparing work for us to do. Jesus is concerned with building the kingdom of heaven, not our own personal kingdoms or even our own nations. Yeah, nations can serve Jesus for a time. But Jesus is about something much, much bigger. We need to join in with Jesus' work to build the kingdom of God, to be out on mission, to join him on his mission, to change the world. All right, now, remember the question I asked you earlier? Where's your neighborhoods? Hopefully you've filled some of those out a little bit. Now I want to ask you the next question, and we're going to get some inspiration from some of our old friends on Sesame Street.
Why don't we do that song about the people in your neighborhood? Well, I'd rather not, actually. Oh, come on. It's a nice song. Well, okay, but you start off. All right, I'll start off. Well, now, who are the people in your neighborhood? In your neighborhood? In your neighborhood? Say, who are the people in your neighborhood? The people that you meet each day. Not only where are your neighborhoods, but who are the people in your neighborhoods. If there are people that come to mind, those are the ones that Jesus wants you to be with. Like Jesus invites the disciples and invites you to be with him, Jesus wants you to be with those people. Jesus wants to call them too, and he's inviting you into the work of sharing his message with them wherever you go. And you don't have to do all the work. You need to trust that Jesus has already started working on people's hearts and minds. That Jesus has already started to level the hills. To create an easier path for you to walk into. Because there are needs out there that we can help address. And as you connect with them, be present like Jesus was with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We need to be with people. And as you're present with people, you will find opportunities to connect and share who Jesus is to you and how he has transformed your life. And hopefully, because Jesus has already started the work and because we have joined him on mission, that others' people's lives will begin to be transformed as well. So the foundational truth, again, that Jesus is already at work in our neighborhoods and he wants you to join him on his his mission. The work may be different than it was, but Jesus and his message are still...